Hi, my name is Sharon Shimanova, and this is Chai Podcast. In today's episode, I talk with Avi Benjamin, co-founder of Yuhan's Way, a nonprofit organization geared towards rehabilitating victims of addiction in the Baharian community. Avi's uncle Yuhan is a beloved member of our community and has long functioned as an advocate and counselor for opioid dependent youth. Avi talks us through the organization's goals, the difficulties that they faced in bringing the topic of drug addiction to the forefront of the conversation and the importance of prevention in the fight against addiction, specifically with the younger generation. Being the same age, Avi and I were able to talk about the difference between our experiences growing up and those of teenagers today. I hope that this episode is able to inform listeners about the very real and growing opioid epidemic that is tragically affecting so many of our fellow community members and the true necessity of having an organization like Yuhan's Way. For more information on resources and ways to help be a part of this movement, please see the episode's description. I'm truly passionate about the betterment of the Baharian community, and it was an honor to have the opportunity to use the Chai podcast platform to emphasize the importance of destigmatizing the discussion of drug dependency and mental health in our community. At one point, did you know that this was something that you wanted to take seriously in terms of rehabilitation from drug addiction and substance abuse? So I've seen, I've seen for years, like my, my uncle has been involved in the field of recovery. Like um, before he started taking it uh, more seriously, but like for, for years he's been, he was just sending people to rehabs, people like who needed to get out, you know, like, like it's, it's affected uh, members of our own family. It's affected many of our friends. It's affected um, just many of our, of our neighbors from the community. Yeah. So the way I got involved was I, I, I would see like, like once in a while, like when I would come to come through to his house, like I would see like there'd be like a like a kid like either leaving or a kid just came as I'm leaving, and I start to see faces that are familiar. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, I didn't even know this person did drugs. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. It's like you hear from other people, like, yo, this this guy's on drugs, and you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what that must feel like to know that somebody that like you know mm-hmm. is struggling, and like you had no idea. Mm-hmm. I think I've that's, had people very close to me yeah. struggling, very close. Yeah, and that's the worst part mm-hmm. is like when you almost like feel so guilty for not knowing mm-hmm. and not doing something mm-hmm. about it. So a few years back, I started helping him, sort of like just like like assisting him. I would drive people to clinics. I would uh, I would be there when he would be meeting people. I would talk to people on the side. A lot of people that I personally know are addicted to drugs. Have been addicted. A lot of people I personally know have died over the last couple of years, especially. Just, just, just try to help. I mean, this was always something on the side. Like, right. it's still, it still is on the side. However, I am taking it more seriously now. Like, how do you say? Like, they say in Judaism, you have like a tikkun. Your tikkun is like your, like your calling. maybe like your destiny, your calling, something. Yeah. Like, I feel like how much I've seen in terms of like, like drug addiction and substance abuse throughout the community, throughout people who are close to me. I feel like I have a much better understanding than a random person. Right. So like. Like what, what we like to do with our organization is we like to provide a culturally sensitive approach. What that means is when we send people away to, uh, to rehabs in, in different states, in different countries, they're going there and like they're, they're doing what they have to go through. But at the same time, they're there with people 
from completely different backgrounds, completely different communities. They have nothing in common with, with yeah. most people there. Like, they can't connect with them. But if you take a Baharian kid from Queens or a Baharian kid from Brooklyn, they have so much in common. Like Immediately clicking, yeah. They're immediately clicking. They're immediately starting to see that, like, like they're not alone in the community. So in that, in that sense, you give them, like a, like, a boost of confidence. And also, like, a safe space. Mm-hmm. Like, they feel entirely understood. Mm-hmm. They feel, feel comfortable like, because right. everyone there, they're familiar with, right. uh, you know how the community is. Like everybody yeah. knows someone's sister, cousin, yeah. brother-in-law, grandma, grandpa. And that makes you feel safe, especially when you're going through such mm-hmm. a huge, tumultuous time in your life when things genuinely feel like they might not get better or you feel like you've, you're at a standstill. So mm-hmm. having that opportunity to connect with people, not just on the traumatic level and like what you're physically going through but also on like a larger scale and on top of that it's the ability to stay in touch and support each other when they come home they say for many people like the best thing is a change of environment but for most people that's just impossible to do it's not easy to just pack everything up and leave so the way it works is you go through a detox then you have to do then you have to go to an inpatient clinic that that's where you after the detox you you just live in a facility where they keep you clean for a certain amount of time the recommendation is 6 months to a year but 6 months is not bad better than nothing it's better than nothing yeah. exactly so but but after that that's when the real work starts the real work is counseling services coaches meetings like it's all about learning how to live sober again So you guys are currently planning on creating an outpatient facility, which is different than... than Right, exactly. The outpatient facility is where where they go first. An inpatient facility is... Is, is great because you, you're getting your mind off things for a year, but like some people just physically can't leave for like an entire year or two, you know? We're gonna be able to send people straight to an inpatient from our facility if, if they wanna go to one. It's all up to them at the end oh, of the day. Oh, okay, so yeah. you guys are partnering with. Yeah, we've uh, established connections with many rehabs in, in the country like that we trust, and, and there's not that many of them, don't get me wrong. But the main thing would be like us providing like the support. So for example, like the, the biggest issue that we deal with is people doing synthetic opiates. Uh, fentanyl basically that's why people are dying fentanyl is very potent it's like a hundred times stronger than morphine or something like right that. but the the reason that the fentanyl gets in the drugs is not obviously because it's it's happening in the manufacturing facility it's happening because it's being cut yeah, yeah. with the drugs that they actually no, need. but there, there isn't even any heroin like on the streets right now like people people it's, it's all uh, white powder it's all fentanyl people know they're doing fentanyl like one of the people that we had worked with that, that my uncle was helping he had actually passed and they found a bag on him that was, it was just all white powders, fentanyl, straight fentanyl. So what works with opiate addicts, which, which, which is basically like majority of the people that we work with, is something called uh, Vivitrol, naltrexone. It's an opiate antagonist. So it's an injection that they have to get every month. It kills opiate cravings. And even if they were to relapse, God forbid, they wouldn't feel anything. So there would be no effect whatsoever. So like, it's, it's, like, it's like your backup. Right, and your facility would be able and our to our facility provide... would, would, would administer Vivitrol. Right, so that would, I mean, if we're talking about just like the, the type of support that would be at this type of clinic, it would be a doctor, obviously, mm-hmm. medical professionals, counselors. They're, they're going to be CASACs, which are a Credential Alcohol Substance Abuse Counselor. I'm actually going, tomorrow's my first day in the course oh, that's to become exciting. licensed. 
That's very exciting. Yeah. Because, and also you can provide sponsorship mm-hmm. opportunities. We're going to have meetings. Uh, a, big thing, a big thing for addicts is uh, regularly attending meetings, NA meetings, AA meetings, whatever it is. And then on top of that, you have to keep in touch with, with like a recovery coach. A coach is someone who's like constantly, it's sort of like a, like a sponsor, like an AA. It's like someone, someone who's checking in on you, someone you call whenever you're not doing so well, just someone that's like, there that's for you. boosting you. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a support system. Mm-hmm. When this place opens, it'll also be able to, I, I feel like, give... It's giving the community resources that haven't been made available. Exactly. And it'll, it'll open the doors for people to feel comfortable mm-hmm. to seek the help. Because I feel like one of the main things that we struggle with in the community is that people don't feel comfortable to get that help. They don't feel comfortable to The stigma is it. probably what's killing the community the most. Why that is, is because people... People see the community as we're a very successful community. We're doing very well. We're not that many people. It's 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 a phenomenon, and people don't like to admit that there are problems. But this is a huge problem. This is one of the biggest problems we face. I'm not even going to talk about other problems. This is just the starter. Yeah. And people people see it how if if there's an addict in a family, what do people fear? They fear that their other kids can't get married or that the the parents can't show their faces anywhere they fear that that they're going to be questioned and and that kills people because like you know like the longer you keep it a secret the worse it gets like my uncle likes to compare it to like diabetes like a diabetic like if, if they don't use insulin like they feel horrible they start to feel sick the person yeah like they've already gotten onto the drugs but 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 what's happening after is whenever they don't have it they become sick and it's like when you're sick you'll do anything you can to not feel sick yeah it's just your basic human instinct right and the longer that you wait to treat it the worse that it gets almost like a like Mm -hmm. a malignant tumor or something it'll just keep growing and growing if you instead kind of catch it when it's still small and manageable Mm -hmm. then it's a different situation whereas when it's like consumed you i feel like it's so much harder to take that next step and with this new facility people will have a place to go, not just have this be like a hypothetical, maybe yeah. I can stop or yeah. maybe I can get help. They have, they have no reason not to. Right, now. exactly. Now it's like it's being made available to you. Exactly. There are no excuses like whatsoever. A big thing today is, is, the, is, is the younger kids who are doing drugs. There's a lot of like 17, 18, 19 year old kids dying. It's so scary. Like, like people I grew up with, like I, I just attended a funeral last year, like somebody I've known since I was probably like, 10, 11 years old. Yeah. I mean, how is how has that been? Just like losing people that are your age and losing people to the same exact thing. It's almost like a waste yeah. at times. Because one thing I've learned through getting involved in this mission is there's a lot of potential amongst these people. Like potential that needs to be unlocked. These are normal people at the end of the day for the most part. They just have this one problem and they need support. They need to meet with counselors. They need to talk their feelings out. They need to come to terms with reality. That's actually a really great way to segue into something that I wanted to speak with you about, which was just like the pressure that men feel from society, but more so even from the Baharian society to be this like cold and put together and no emotions, no feelings, like this strong and invincible creature when like you're just human, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's almost... Like you're not expected to have any feelings. So obviously talking about feelings is nearly impossible. There's like a hunger for success amongst people in the community. And people, even at very young ages, they, they feel like like they haven't accomplished something at, at this age. And like they see other people doing this and that. And like, I 
feel like that that's a big thing amongst these people. It's like they get themselves into this hole. They start they start doing drugs, and, and then they start to see around them. Like for the most part, everybody around them is doing pretty well for themselves. It like makes it worse because it reminds you like what it like exacerbates the issue. Because then yeah. th- then they start to feel like shame. Like that's a big thing among amongst addicts. It's it's a uh, it's shame. It's it's denial. It's anger towards towards yourself. There's a lot of lost people in the community. That yeah. that's the main thing that we see. Like typically, like a lack of education, a lack of motivation in life yeah i think and i mean it's also strange because despite the lack of motivation everybody's still pretending do you know what i mean like yeah there's there's a there's a huge like stunt culture yes stunt culture yeah because it's like yeah i'm not motivated and kind Mm -hmm. of nothing is going on but nobody can know yeah because then that's just gonna make it even worse yeah so you're not talking about your feelings then you're stunting on everyone like, how are you supposed to ever feel comfortable to actually say, hey, guys, like, exactly, yeah. I know that we're, like, squad deep right now and just hanging out, <laughs> but I'm, like, not well, and I want to talk yeah. about something. Like, imagine the most, like, <clears throat> Bavarian bro friend group and someone just randomly saying that. People will probably just laugh. <clears throat> I see that also as, like, it's very hard to even think that somebody's going through something to even, like, go out and ask them, like, like what I encourage anybody who's, who's listening to this podcast, anybody I ever meet, I explain to them right away, like, the main thing that that we're trying to do with our uh, organization is we're trying to educate the community on this because we feel like there's a there's a huge lack of education amongst in the community. If you know someone is doing drugs, there's a lot of people that know that people do drugs and they keep it a secret. Like we we, we typically find with a, with with a lot of people, what happens is like they've been doing drugs for like eight, nine, ten years. Like their families knew nothing about it. So a big thing is for members of the community is like if you know someone is doing drugs and like they're not doing well, like. You should talk to them first and then just take them to go see someone, take them to see a professional, to us, to whoever, this doesn't matter, just take them to see someone and try to get through them. I mean, as cliche as it is, if you see something, say something. You can't just keep it to yourself because people's lives are at stake. I like to see it as we're creating foot soldiers for the community. It's like, like you know how there's like Hatzal or Shmirah, mm-hmm. there's like all these volunteer organizations. All of us as Jewish people, like if we truly care about each other, it's like, Everybody right now knows someone that's doing drugs. That's there's no doubt about it. Hundred percent. Every single person in the community knows somebody, heard of somebody, haven't seen them in a minute. They're doing drugs. What you have to do is you have to go speak to them, see what's going on, see how they're doing. Like you could tell by speaking to someone how they're doing generally. Yeah, yeah. and I think a, a a big part of that is just informing members <clears throat> of the community what to look out for. Mm-hmm. What are the signs that you should be looking for? What ways can you like go about the situation Mm -hmm. to make the person feel safe and not attacked Mm -hmm. and not cornered you know what i mean and it would be a great opportunity for the facility to provide Mm -hmm. these resources to people because i think a lot of a a lot of it is kind of that that like they don't even know what to say you know it's like yeah i know that this person is doing drugs but how do i do this how do i just reach out to them people people in the community typically like they get angry over, over, over things like this. People start to speak typically like very aggressively to the, to the addict. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's just too much for the person to bear. Like, like in a lot of cases, a lot of people don't even go and like recover. Like they come home, like they're getting shit on like by their yeah. parents, you know, like, cause I mean, you also have to see it from, from the family's perspective. Like they're already getting tired of the person, but, but it's, you can't let it just keep going. Yeah. A big thing with, with like relatives of addicts is being co-addicted where uh, the addict is suffering mentally and that in return is making you suffer mentally specifically from that issue So you guys are both just like like going through this like whirlwind of emotions But like except 
one one of the parties is on drugs, the other party is just worrying about the person on drugs. It's just making them go crazy. Like like yeah. a, like a lot of parents have told us like yo like I'm tired like like a very common thing is after years of of a person being addicted like you'll hear parents say like like I just wish they died already you know what I mean like like they've lost faith. Yeah, and I mean it's it's insane to think about how much of a strain there must be on a parent-child relationship for your parent to lose faith in you. And I think a lot of why even when, in the sense of you saying like shit on and all of this like negativity mm. and hostility, it's coming from that stigma. Like yeah. people genuinely believe that it's like a bad omen or something. And the way that the community sees it is what the problem is. There's a lot of overdose deaths in the community that are told are not overdoses, but are in fact overdoses. It's very common. Everybody knows about it. They just, the families are embarrassed and it's like, there's, there's, there's nothing really to be embarrassed about. It's just, yeah. it's just it, it was a sick person who just, they couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Over like 120,000 people died of opiate overdoses last year in the US. I think a big thing in the community is like a lack of faith in medicine too. Very true. Like people, people, people don't want to trust medical professionals. Like, like, a, like a big thing you hear from people is like, when they find out the kids doing drugs, they take them to a rabbi. It's like, what the hell is a rabbi gonna do for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that no disrespect, the rabbis are like, they're, they're like the community leaders and everything. Sure. They're the advocates. Like, listen, on a, in a spiritual sense, yeah, go to them, talk to them. But if you ever need some spirituality, but it's like. What does a rabbi know about a substance abuse patient? An even more important conversation to have is why are the rabbis the community leaders? I don't really think they have much pull That's what nowadays. I'm like I feel like it's a much more secular community. It's like at the end of the day, like with the rabbis, it's it's all like it's all bureaucracy at the end of the day. Yeah. It's like and everyone everyone is uh trying to get a certain position somewhere, chief yeah. rabbi, this chief rabbi. But it's that. so strange that when families are suffering, they immediately want to turn to the rabbi. Because when you think about it, like on a larger scale, they don't really have any pull. They can't really help you with anything, but that's who people run to. Also, like their lives are typically like religious since birth. So like they don't really have much experience in that field. It's even more frustrating when you're going through something, especially on a mental level. And then you have this like rabbi in front of you telling you that like all of your problems will be better if you just start believing in God. Yeah. And if you just start being observant and you become religious and that'll solve all your problems. And you're sitting there and you're like, that is going to solve all my problems. Like keeping Shabbat is going to solve yeah. all my problems. Yeah. Giving a donation to the synagogue is going to solve my problems. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I'm not hating on anybody that is more like observant I, or whatever, but it's a physical issue, yeah. not a spiritual issue. Listen, at, at the end of the day, religion is a choice. Like, right. like we're born Jews. I, I think we all should maintain our identity as Jews. We should all keep following Jewish customs. Right. And Judaism is a religion that doesn't practice. We don't use missionaries. You're basically like, Convincing Jews to convert to Judaism yeah, is what I like to exactly. say. Religion is like, it has to be organic. It's you, exactly. you get into it as you please. I'm not a very religious person. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't keep kosher. I don't keep Shabbat. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I eat Shabbat dinner every single week, no matter if it's with my family at yeah. someone's house, no matter what. Every Shabbat, I'm, I'm eating Shabbat dinner. I do tefillin every once in a while. I just feel like the times where I've been fully disconnected, like... Like a lot of things have felt off in life. Like, listen, you should. Everyone should maintain their own peace. Yeah. In the in in the realm of religion, people have to stop like idolizing them. Yes. Exactly. Listen, notice if you're if you're a religious person, hey. Like, yeah. Well, 
That's on you. Like, but what, this what, what, however, the rabbi can help you. He can help yeah, you. But, but this isn't a, a religious issue. Exactly. That's this the problem. This isn't a religion issue. This is a physical issue, a mental issue, a health issue. Like, how do you expect someone on drugs, for example, to go to synagogue? Like, they're not mentally there. They're not connecting on a spiritual level whatsoever. They're just gone. Yeah. They can't even connect with themselves, like mm-hmm. their real selves. They're having trouble connecting with who they are, let alone this like entirely new force. I think it's safe to assume that like the rabbis are not very supportive of you. Have you received like much pushback from them or from other members of the community? Pushback from the community? There's been, there's been, there's been a fair share of uh, like negative connotation. Like there's a lot of people who say, no, it doesn't work. There's, there's no point of even helping these people. And it's like, you, you can't turn your back on someone. Like, especially someone who's not doing so well. Like, you know, we, we, we like to consider ourselves like this, like charitable religion. It's like, like this is someone from your community who's like not doing well. Yeah. I think the rabbis weren't into it at first, but I feel like now they're starting to like, like get on the wagon. Like Rabbi Yeshua, like Rabbi Yeshua is an amazing yeah. guy. Rabbi Yeshua actually, like he, he uh, I believe he's a counselor for substance abuse patients also, like licensed and everything. Like he's helped a lot of people. Out. Like, like Rabbi Yeshua has been supporting my uncle f- since day one. Like, Yeah, and that's how it should be, right? Mm-hmm. This should be a united front. And if, there, if everyone was on the same page about this specific topic, which doesn't seem like a weird topic to agree on, then I think it would streamline the entire process. You it's know a, I mean? It's... It, it's a health emergency. Like people, people have to understand. Like there's so many people dying. Like every week, there's another funeral of someone who died from an overdose. Just from the community. I'm not even talking about in New York in America. I'm talking about in the community. Like every week or two, somebody's going. What do you normally say to people that claim it doesn't work, quote unquote? Like what doesn't it work? It does work. We just had a fundraiser on the 27th in Damikalajo. Uh, we raised close to three hundred thousand dollars. We're still getting donations after. We had three hundred people. There were so many people. I yeah. came in there, I was mm-hmm. like, wow, this mm-hmm. is so legit. Mm-hmm. Like, not for nothing. I was a little bit skeptical because mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's the first fundraiser I've ex- ever been ex- to. Exactly. Like, like, this was the first fundraiser we've ever done. We had we had multiple recovered addicts, long term. One of the guys, he, he works at a facility that we work with in Pennsylvania. He's been 15 years clean. Another guy who came, Boris Chorn, he's a recovery coach. He's, he's been clean for like five years. And like, he was not doing so well five, five six years ago. It's possible, like... You just have to provide the resource. So what was really the goal with it? Because this was kind of your debut, your big... Basically, yeah. yeah your big moment. The goal was bringing the organization to the forefront and gaining support amongst the community. Like, like you know how we were saying, like, the pushback from the community and pushback from certain members. Like, I feel like we're really doing well with educating the community and bringing the topic to light in a way that's never been done before. A big thing in, like, in like the recovery process in the United States is the way rehabs work. Most of the rehabs in this country are paid by Medicaid. When people are in a rehab facility, the first week it's like three or $400 per day that the facility is getting from their health insurance. The second week it goes down to like 270, something like that per day. Then the third week it goes down to like 180. Already at that fourth week, when they're getting like $60 a day for this person, what they do is they, they initiate a conflict over there. Like it's, it's, it's always an issue, like a behavioral issue or like stuff like that. And they cause a person to get kicked out what happens? The person gets kicked out, goes home, relapses, and then they go back, and then they get they get that four hundred dollars a day again. Oh my god! It like it gives them like incentive to like have people relapse. We want people to come to us once and f- for all. That's it. I didn't even know that that was a thing. I mean, that's part of like a broader discussion mm-hmm. of like how fucked up the entire medical system is in the states and 
just the healthcare system is a mess and the fact that the, the victims of this illness are being manipulated on every single front by right. just like the way that the system works now. And yeah, the system is literally manip- manipulating. Yeah, they just completely it spits it chews them up and spits them out mm-hmm. once they're once they're not of use to them anymore. They don't even give them a chance at long term recovery. Exactly. It's all in the short term. Right. So I mean, that's why in terms of our community, something that's so niche and that is this big just network of family units that all know each other, all care about each mm-hmm. other. It's crucial for a place like this to be in place. Our second goal, aside from the outpatient clinic, is to open a youth center somewhere in the community, like the Baharantin Lounge mm-hmm. and 100 like like kids would just go there and just get their mind off of things, you know, like not be in the streets up to no good, like, but, but we, we would want to do it on a bit of a bigger scale, you know, somewhere like full service, you know, just classes all day, recreational areas, tutoring, there'd be food served, you know, like the big thing that helped me when I was growing up was I used to go to like all these like Jewish programs, stuff like, like lectures, I used to go to the Baharantine Lounge, it's like, I could have been in the streets up to no good all day. Yeah. But I had a place to kill time. And that's very important for young kids because like prevention is, is the best thing you can do. It's like, yeah, there's so many people affected. That's already one tough problem. You don't want, you don't want more of a problem down the line. So what you have to do is you just have to get the, the youth involved in life. Like I feel like there's, there's a huge lack of education amongst the youth in the community. Like a lot of people are typically like dropping out of school, not continuing school, becoming barbers or whatever. And long term, that doesn't help you in life. The parents are doing well. The parents are working all day. Like nobody's really watching the kid. Those years, like 15, 16, 17, like, like those are scary years. You know what I mean? For like a kid, like, like everything is changing so dramatically. And it's like if, if no one is really like watching a kid at the end of the day, shit just gets bad. Yeah. And it's also difficult because at that age, they don't want to be watched anymore. They're exactly. Like, so there's like, a, yeah. there's like a conflict between the parents and the kids. Yeah. And it makes it even worse when then... But parents have to understand that like... Like mentally, like their kids are going through puberty, like they're just thinking differently. They're not thinking rationally at the end of the day. So it's like, you have to just like settle that aside. It's difficult for them to like relate to us, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Even when I was in high school, there was a disconnect. It's just something that happens. It, it isn't anybody's fault at yeah. the end of the day. It's just, it's around, don't get me wrong, like, like prevention, like I said, is the most effective. But it's like, listen, when someone already like tries something, it's like, that's it. They're already in it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's insane because when I was in high school, there was nobody that was like doing hardcore drugs all the time. Not at all. Like at all. Like sure, people would like. I know. I know a few kids that that I went to school with who who like 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 were doing pills like back then. Yeah. Yeah. I remember there was like a fad with like Zans. Yeah, there there was like a whole like Zandy like people were like sipping lean. Yeah. But it wasn't something that they did every day. Like people weren't like smoking dope back then. No, no, no. Nobody was doing any of that. It was totally different. And if I remember that, you know, like I had people who I knew that started Mm -hmm. getting down like a weird Xanax phase. And as soon as, yeah, as soon as that shit happens, I'm like, I, I remember myself. I was like, are you okay? Like, this isn't chill. Like you need to stop. And when you have a good support system, like a good friend or anything, to be able to kind of like put you in check and make you realize like wake up this is not like this weird little video game that you're playing where you're like just living in an alternate reality like this is your life a lot of people lose their friends when they start doing drugs so it's like i feel like like people get on drugs their friends basically like dead them forever like they they stop being friends and those people typically just they don't do so well very quickly I mean, I think that having the community center, I agree. I mean, we've spoke, I spoke about this with David, who's a part of your organization last mm-hmm. season. And 
I, I do agree. I mean, I, I went to the Bavarian team lounge. I got my mm-hmm. volunteer hours mm-hmm. there. It wasn't someplace that I went consistently, but mm-hmm. it was there you, and it was, you know, a place that you I knew. You knew of it. Right. You it could go place. to whenever you wanted. Yeah. And I knew that it was always there. And obviously, I think that for kids now, especially, I mean, I think that when we were like 18, 19 mm-hmm. years old, like 17 in high school, even mm-hmm. like things were so different. Yeah. It was completely different yeah. than it is now. It's difficult to like get their attention. Mm-hmm. Or anything, yeah. You know, for more, it's the length of a TikTok video, like thirty seconds. Literally, literally. It's all you have to get to get their attention. If not, it's just they're on to the next thing. Bahrain kids, especially, like, are getting into drugs young now, like really young, like fourteen, fifteen. We've sent away people to clinics who are like seventeen. This generation is pretty crazy. Like, I feel like, especially like with COVID and like the, the kids these days are very like introverted, so to speak. I don't want to say weird. I think, but, <laughs> but, but, but like, like a little weird. Like, like a little weird. A little you know weird. what I mean? Like like. Like, just the way they act, their mannerisms and shit, it's like, it's like, yo, something's up. They, like, mentally isolate themselves, like, in these phones. Like, that, like that's the big thing. Like, they're just sucked into that shit all day. Yeah. Like, their whole entire life is on that phone. Yeah. Don't wrong. Like, the phone, like, listen, like, like without my phone, like, I'd be dead, you know? Yeah. Like, my, my phone is blowing up, like, every five minutes. And then they're outside doing even stupider shit than our generation was doing. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's like so don't get me wrong, like 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 we're the same age. Like like our generation was wild, but like there wasn't that many young kids doing drugs. Was like, there yeah. ever a moment when you were like growing up, or when you were, I mean, in the past like five years or so, where mm-hmm. you've been in a in a position where like the peer pressure was real and you needed to like pull yourself out of the equation? Definitely that, but but I I, I feel like what helped me at the end of the day was. I've always been like involved in something like I'm I feel like I feel like I have ADHD like like I have so many thoughts going on like like it's 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 hard to like get them out you know yeah so like, I feel like I was always involved in like the randomest shit ever you know like like in high school so like that's kind of what like helped me because you know like, I was killing my time just doing shit you were just, just grinding busy. I was yeah. just busy you know like and that's that's the main thing it's like like the kids who are just walking in the street all day like obviously like, they're gonna go down a bad path because like they're they're not doing anything with their time and time is money it's like Baharans love money you know like you're wasting money. <laughs> Exactly. Maybe if we frame it that way, like, then they'll like get it. It'll click. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, bro, you're losing a hundo every day. Yeah, every single day. But I think that's also a great opportunity because I feel like BTL also and like youth centers connect you for like internships mm-hmm. or jobs or whatever. And you're just able to be like, okay, I'm going to go to school. And then they have somewhere to go after school. So it's not like, oh, bro, what are you doing after school? No, it's like, I actually have something to do. I can't hang out. Yeah, like when I was in high school, like 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 the kids were like walking around one way street, like it's like eight o'clock, like school ended like four hours ago, like like get out of here, like like I mean a big thing for me was like when I was in high school, I spent a lot of time in the city, I spent a lot of time in Brooklyn, like I was just you know like I was all over the place, like I wasn't really in the neighborhood that much. That's so interesting because every single every Buharian guy I think who I've spoken to like with relation to Chai have all said that mm-hmm. that like and I think that that's why they're like so much more in tune mm-hmm. you know what i mean they're not like zombies and mm-hmm. they're not just like all the same mm-hmm. they have that little bit of like yeah like a big thing with baharians is like it's like there's like a mold of the kind of person you gotta be like like if, if you think about it like a lot of people like fit into like 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 the baharian girl for example like yeah. you already know like what the standard baharian <laughs> girl is like the yeah. way she looks the way she sounds the way she dresses same thing with the guys you know like everybody's like it's like a copy paste like in microsoft yeah exactly I mean, I think that I've, I mean, I've talked about what that's like for like a Baharian girl, but like, mm-hmm. what is that like, would you say for a Baharian guy? What's like the cookie? Everybody wants to have like $50 million by the time you're 21, <laughs> uh, driving a McLaren with a <laughs> Richard <laughs> Milley. 
Richard with Miller. Richard Milley. <laughs> That's actually hilarious. See, bro, you gotta be realistic. Yeah. There's unrealistic expectations. And it's like when people don't achieve said unrealistic expectations, it starts to make them doubt themselves, doubt their lives. And like they, they, they start to lose the confidence. How often correlated are, just like from your experience, have people who are drug addicts and like suffering from the disease having these like really negative thoughts and like suicidal thoughts? A lot of addicts actually have uh, suicidal thoughts, like towards the point where they start to hit rock bottom, they start to feel like, like, like they're just tired of living to themselves. They, they, they think that they've tried to get clean, and uh, they're just really tired of like going through the whole process because no one's supporting them. They're like they're in it alone, and it's like they also succumb to temptation all the time. Nobody's there like holding them back, like giving them that crutch. So. They, they all have very, very negative mental thoughts. There's shameful thoughts, thoughts of embarrassment, uh, thoughts of failure, uh, denial altogether. I mean, I think that in order to stop thinking in this like skeptical framework, one of the first things that people need to do is accept that like all of this is rooted in mental health. Somebody wouldn't turn to drugs if it wouldn't be for mental health issues, if it wouldn't be for their mental instability or like... Listen, sometimes it's psychological trauma. Sometimes yeah. it's like problems in the home. Exactly. Even if you think the person is like, doesn't give a fuck about anything. Like people think like addicts are typically like selfish people. And like they only care about themselves, but it's like they can't like physically even care about themselves. They don't even have that mental capacity at the time. So at the outpatient facility, obviously we're provide, you guys would be mm -hmm. providing the medical services first of all. Yeah. We would do an outpatient detox where the person would have to come seven days be clean and then they get their vivitrol shot and then after that they start doing counseling and coaching uh, meeting with therapists and drug counselors and just long term yeah. sober living we want to do an inpatient too but that that's a much bigger project absolutely you have to take it step by step so this is this is the first part the youth center and then an inpatient yeah. facility no i mean i think it's great that you guys have milestones already mm -hmm. planned out and that's an amazing structure and sounds like a great plan i mean i think that a big part of being successful in mm -hmm. facilitating that kind of environment and acting as like a counselor for somebody who's struggling with that mm -hmm. is having gone through that before. And the fact that you and your uncle have been exposed mm -hmm. to these situations over the past however many years, it puts you guys in a very unique position. You're kind of trying to connect two things. Mm -hmm. You're trying to connect the Baharian community to the medical help that it needs. Yes. So you're acting like middlemen, mm -hmm. almost. We're like educators for the community. Yeah, exactly. Strictly grassroots at the end of the day. It's like, it's. I like to say over and over, it's by the community for the community. At the end of the day, it's like nobody has nothing to gain from this. We're just coming together and we're doing something together. I think that's how the best facilities come about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's no other motivation other than pure love. If you have good intentions, it'll work out. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, it, from what I've seen and from what I've gathered and from our conversation, it's just so clear that you guys are so passionate about this. Mm -hmm. A part of why we're doing this episode, obviously, is to like get that information mm -hmm. out. Anybody listening to this, like we said before, see something, say something. Like, yeah. You know someone is doing drugs, talk to them, bring them to someone. We, we can't let these like borders hold us back. Like, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings or I don't want to get their fans. I was like, yo, like, like the person is like living on thin ice. Yeah, you're saving a life.